listening to the Drunk Up and Ready podcast. Again. You know why it's again, Spencer? <laughs> For like the fourth time. <laughs> we just did a whole episode on this topic we're going to talk about, and it was so bad I just deleted the whole fucking file. Uh. The article that I was reading the list from, the I don't think the person who wrote it was a native English speaker, and I just bumbled through the whole fucking thing, and it was terrible. But I found a BuzzFeed list that happens to be better. So that's strange. That's so odd. We'll do this quicker. I am your host, Caleb James, the host of the Drunk Up and Ready and Experience. We're experienced now. Oh no, 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 we're not. We're just the podcast. Uh, with me today, Spencer, who did get a name in the episode we deleted. The what's your name, Spencer? The Canadian Car Crasher Church. That's what it is. Uh, small talk, blah blah blah, witty banter back and forth. Uh, okay, now we're caught up. We're caught up. The last episode that we just deleted was 13, ba- uh, not banned books, 13 challenging books to read. I have a better one. The 25 most challenging books you will ever read. This didn't pop up when I first looked this up, so I don't know why, uh, I don't know, but it's from BuzzFeed, so I guess they do better work at BuzzFeed than whoever that guy was that I was trying to rip off earlier. Now we're going to rip off BuzzFeed. 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 Uh, this was written by news reporter Louise Peitzman, or is it Lewis? Number one, and I agree with this, Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. Yeah. Uh, that came out in 1939. Do you know what makes Finnegan's Wake challenging, Spencer? Everything. I'm going to tell you everything. There's no clear plot. It's all stream of consciousness, filled with idiosyncratic language, free association, and an overall attempt to capture the feelings of dreams. That's a tough one. Uh, after seven decades, Joyce scholars, Joyce scholars continue to argue over what it all means. Now, Spencer... As we discussed when we read Finnegan's Wake in the last episode that I deleted, the uh, what should we call that? Uncut. What do we call it when we throw something away? Garbage. <laughs> garbage. <laughs> the garbage episode. I uh, briefly, not garbage. Garbage. I re- uh, briefly uh, said I watched a clip from I think it was Lex Friedman's podcast. He had a psychologist on who claims, and I didn't look any of this up, so I don't know how true this all is, but. Joyce apparently had schizophrenia, like, ran in his family, and they think that he, well, that guy thinks that he had schizophrenia, and that's why Finnegan's Wake was written so convoluted. And one interesting note he brought up was, like, in schizophrenics, I think the way they hear words sometimes, it's like an echo. So the last word you said blends into the next word you said, which explains why Joyce had so many, like, weird combined words and sounds. Uh, so I think if th- that'd be something worth looking into for Joyce fans. Though I wonder, though, like if you're that schizophrenic, especially back then, would you, like There's no treatment? Yeah, like uh, would you even be able that was to even write? Be- that was even before the old lobotomy. Yeah. Well, that's uh, some people dispute that and say that's bullshit, and he was just a you know a super genius. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. Here's an excerpt, Spencer. Uh, God damn. God damn. Remember, this was your idea. This should be the hardest one I have to read. Excerpt from Finnegan's Wake. Sir Tristram Vallard de Mars, for over the short sea, had Preston Corps re-arrived from North America on this side of the scraggly isthmus of Europe Minor to wield and fight his Pensacola War, nor had Top Sawyer's rocks by the stream on Conse exaggerated themselves to Lawrence County's Gorgios while they went doubling their mumper all the time. <laughs> I like mumper. <laughs> when, they, when they went doubling their mumper all the time, nor a voice from a fire below Smiche Miche to Tafrat Thotrika Patrick, not yet through Venison after, had a kit scat but it ended a blad old Isaac, not yet those all there in Venice, where Sosie Sethers wrath with a twan Hather Joe. But when you actually read that, 
Uh, it just looks like a lot of. Well, I don't know if you can see that. It looks like a lot of words combined. Yeah. I can't say. Just hearing you say that made me feel like my uh, my ears had dyslexia. Like I couldn't just like the like the words would get just getting mauled up in my head. I would think that's what a lot of people experience a stroke would feel like. Yeah. Like when they're trying to speak and they can't. I think that's what's going through their head. Uh, not to make fun of stroke victims, it's very scary. I just, I feel like that's what, like, literally, like, the combining and jumbling of words. Number two, The Sound and the Fury by William Fawkner, 1929. And I was just actually going to buy this the other day, Spencer. Did you don't you know say. That? You don't say. <laughs> you wouldn't have heard me say that in the garbage episode we threw away. No, of course not. I was, when I finished The Silmarillion, I was going to buy that because I've been really wanting to read it. But uh, I decided a palate cleanser was necessary because it's not a very long book, but it's very complicated. Uh, it starts with, well, I'll get in because they might actually explain. But um, the book that I am currently reading, Spencer, I found to be a fun read and be very quick. Uh, uh, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Oh, you've been wanting to read that for a while now. And so far, it's really good. Like, I can't, I had, I just started last night. I'm already like 30 pages in. I couldn't put it down. Like, the like every chapter, I'm like, no, I want to see what happens. Yeah. I want to see what happens. Though I kind of understand why it's banned now. Oh, yeah? Because, like, I read Tom Sawyer first, so I was basing the whole, like, N-word Jim thing off of, like, how much that word was in Tom Sawyer, which yeah. I don't remember being too much. Like, nothing, like, overtly crazy. Like, you could even just mark it out. And I don't, Literally, in, like, two paragraphs after, like, five pages in, and I think it said 15 times or wow. something. I was like, hard R. I'm like, I, like, when I first read it, I was like, because every time you read that anymore, like, I find... But unexpectedly read that, it hits you a little. Mm. Whoa, 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 okay. whoa, easy. Whoa. <laughs> damn, Mark Twain. But then it just again and again and again. I was like, holy shit, they were racist back then. It didn't even, not like it's coming from Huckleberry Finn to a little kid. Yeah. He doesn't even realize he's being racist because he doesn't even. Re- well, back then it wasn't racist. I mean, well, it was, but like back then a lot of people would say it how we would say like black guy. Yeah. Like they didn't, like they just would say the N word. And that didn't necessarily mean you were racist back then, but it's pretty fucked up to think yeah. about that that was, like, in the language like that. Uh, and, and until fairly recently, because I was, like, into, what, the 60s, maybe, people? Even the 70s, I think, because, uh-huh. like, I remember Chevy Chase. Shit, the 80s? Mm. Like, I mean, depending on the person, like. Yeah. Uh, so what makes uh, The Sound of the Fury challenging? The style of stream of consciousness with three different narrators and one third-person section. The first narrator is mentally disabled to the extent that he cannot process linear time and jumps between past and present mid-sentence. Fuck. Yeah, the guy that described this book in that last article yeah. that we read was not... I, I didn't know, like, mid-sentence, bruh. Yeah, that's... Bruh. that's, that's almost like when uh, in, in Slaughterhouse-Five, when like, it'd be mid-sentence, you'd go to, like, different time periods, mm. and it kept doing that. Here's an excerpt. Caddy held me, and I could hear us all, and the darkness, and something I could smell. And then I could see the windows where the trees were buzzing. Then the dark began to go in smooth, bright shapes, like it always does, even when Caddy says that I have been asleep. Now, when I read some other excerpts from that, like, the writing was very beautiful, and I don't think I'd have a problem with that. Maybe it's just, like, hard to follow, Mm. but I feel like, you know, maybe if you... Like how sometimes we would watch videos after reading something, maybe if you watch, like, a breakdown of it, it wouldn't be so bad. Number three, The Canterbury Tales by Joffrey Chaucer from the 14th century. You know what makes this challenging, Spencer? It was written in the 14th century. You'll never forget where you were when you learned that Shakespearean language is actually modern English. That's right. There was an English centuries before that's even harder to understand. And, like, 
just how does that make you feel? He's like, you read Shakespeare and your head melts a little. Yeah. And then it's like, that's that's still new. That's yeah. new English. Uh. It's not the hard stuff. Chaucer's collection of stories are often read translated because the original is such a chore. Oh, God. And they got the excerpt of the old language. Oh, yeah. Because I was telling you, like, Chaucer is difficult. Like, the Canterbury Tales, if it was put into modern English just because of the references and the satire is all, like, references of things from fucking 1392. Like, you don't, how do we know? Unless you're a history historian, like a like a history professor, so you probably wouldn't have studied that enough to understand all that stuff. But here's the excerpt. A night there was, and that a worthy man, that fro the time that he first began, to ride an out he loved chivalry, truth and honor, freedom and courtesy, Full worthy was he as his lord's weir, and thereto had he ridden no man's fare, as well as Christum, Christum, as in Henthesis, and ever honored for his worthiness. Spencer, I want you to look at the actual language and just read those words. You don't have to read them out loud. Just like, I sound like I was saying normal words for the most part. It, uh, it, it <laughs> like, looks... had is H-A-D-D-E. Yeah. It looks like somebody was trying to, like, they were typing. Get some back on their face off the keyboard. Oh, I was going to say with, like, their eyes closed. Yeah, missing. They were just missing a lot of... Or, like, they're closed, but not quite. Yeah. Like, night is K-N-Y-G-H-T. There is T-H-E-R. Time, obviously, T-Y-M-E. Began, B-I-G-A-N. Riding, R-I-D-E-N. Chivalry is kind of okay. Truth was the weirdest one to me. T R O U T H E. Goddamn. Right. After actually reading that all, I think I could read Chaucer for the most part. That wasn't too bad. Number four, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, written in 1967. Uh, this is on my list. I really want to read this. Uh, it's challenging because few family sagas stretch as wide as that of the Buendian clan. There are seven generations depicted here. As if that's not confusing enough, names are frequently repeated. Basically, every character is named Arleano. Aureliano. Oh, yeah. Try reading it in Spanish. Here's an excerpt. He sank into the rocking chair, the same one in which Rebecca had sat during the early days of the house to give embroidery lessons, and in which Amaranta had played Chinese checkers with. Who? <laughs> had played Chinese checkers with Colonel Gerlian El. Gerliando Marquez, and in which Amarana Ursula had sewn the tiny clothing for the child, and in that flash of lucidity, he became aware that he was unable to hear in his soul the crushing weight of so much past. Number five, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon, 1973. This is challenging because quantum mechanics, mass extinction, speculative metaphysics, this is heavy stuff. It doesn't help. The Pynchon style is free-flowing and flashback heavy. This has been called the definitive postmodern novel, which tells you everything you need to know. I, I have no interest in reading this ever. It's an excerpt. Darkness invades the dreams of the glass blower. Of all the unpleasantries, his dreams grab in and out of the night air, and extinguish light in the worst. Light in his dreams was always hope, the basic moral hope. As the contacts break helically away, hope turns to darkness, and the glass blower wakes sharply to night crying. Who? Who? So it's one of those ones I probably wouldn't understand, like anything's happening. Number six, The Female Man by Joanna Russ, 1975. This was like your favorite book, isn't it? So much my favorite. It's got a fucking cool-ass cover. Yeah, it is an interesting cover. It's almost like an anime character cover. What makes it challenging? There are multiple narrators throughout the novel's nine chapters. Only nine chapters. In various subdivisions, but it's never clear who is speaking. I hate when these people mm. do that. Like, just come on. I want to know who's talking. There are some clues. Good luck with that. 
Uh, so there's brief clues to who's speaking, but no definitive this person is speaking. With the point of view changes, there are also confusing shifts in place and time. Excerpt. Of course you don't want me to be stupid. Bless you. You only want to make sure you're intelligent. You don't want me to commit suicide. You only want me to be gratefully aware of my dependency. You don't want me to despise myself. You only want the flattering deference to you that you consider a spontaneous tribute to your natural qualities. That's the kind of language where I'm just like, like I'd, I'd read that and be like, it's melt, it's not care. Number seven, Being in Time by Martin Heidenegger, 1927. This uh, again. This one again. Uh, and the original title in German, Zeit nun Zeit. I think I did better this time. I think last time, because the way that guy had it written in the little text, I couldn't. Zeit. I like the Zeit. Is it Zeit? Or is it Zeit? I don't know. German. If you're looking for a straightforward explanation of existentialism, hermeneutics, 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 and deconstruction, this is not the book for you. Just the reading that has made it not the book yeah. for me. Just trying to read those terms made it not the book for me. Uh, reading it in a college course is bad enough. Trying to understand it on your own is nearly impossible. Why must philosophy be so dense? Because people just making up shit. Right. Excerpt. But nowhere does not meaning nothing, rather region in general lies therein, and disclosedness of the world in general for essentially spatial being in. Therefore, what is threatening cannot come closer from a definite direction within nearness. It is already there, and yet nowhere. It is so near that it is oppressive it takes one's breath, and yet it is nowhere. So what does that mean, Spencer? It's nowhere. I think that is what that means. <laughs> clap it, clap it, clap What he just said is nowhere. Number nine, Our Lady of the Flowers by Jean Gannett, 1943. The classic queer novel about a drag queen named Divine. That is so weird because you sent me that Grant Morrison book. Yeah. Which is about a drag queen. Oh, it, it kind of is, right? That's the yeah. story. It's about, I looked it up. It's, it's about a drag queen and uh, something else. Isn't there it. like magic and stuff in it? Magicians. Yeah. Drag queen, magician. I don't know if they're the same uh, person, but. Anyway, uh, the inspiration for the frequent John Waters collaborator is lyrical and free-flowing. It's beautiful to listen to, especially in the original French, but tough to follow. Here's an excerpt. Uh, pardon my French. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. I don't know French as well. Ariadne in the Labyrinth. The most alive of worlds, human beings with the tenderest flesh are made of marble. I strew devastation as I pass. I wander dead-eyed through cities and petrified populations. See, I wouldn't. I don't think I would uh, have a problem with that kind of writing style. Number nine, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, written in '96. Fuck you, David Wallace. Uh, you're too goddamn dense. It's nearly 1,100 pages. That aside, the novel is incredibly complex with 388 endnotes. Oh, some of which also have footnotes. Oh, what the? <laughs> Your notes have notes, <laughs> bro. Somebody wrote that though. By the way, like, think about that. Like, not just like imagine trying to read that fucking block. And then all the end notes and footnotes. But somebody actually wrote that. How long did that take you, guy? Did you do anything else in that time period? It's not impossible to get through, but it is a serious undertaking. And, of course, there's the added pressure that this is one of those books you just have to read. This is one of those books people, like, judge your smartness on by uh, if you read it or not. It's like what Lit Bro's like, oh, did you read that? Did you read Infinite Jazz? I read it 14 times. Oh, your intellect is superior to my, sir. But do you, did you understand it at all after 14 times? Did you like it? You know what I think? I think you're stupider if you read it. Stupider? You think you're... Uh, stupider. Um, There's a word for that that I can't think of right now, because I'm a stupid guy, too. Excerpt. That sometimes human beings have to just sit in one place and, like, hurt. 
that you will become way less concerned with what, what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. That's already depressing. That there is such a thing as... Say, that's already too close to home. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, well, he did kill himself. So. Yeah. That there is such a thing as raw, unalloyed, agendalessness, kindness. That it is possible to fall asleep during an anxiety attack. That concentrating on anything is very hard work. Um, after doing the Oblivion stories for the IRC, me and Ash did, I don't want to read more David Foster Wallace ever again in my life. You, I might revisit some of those uh, uh, specific stories, but not his work as a whole. I just can't. Like a book? Yeah. You guys did not make it seem durable at all. Yeah. Number 10, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, written in 1851. Caleb's favorite. Yeah, Daddy. The stuff about the white whale is fine, but there are several chapters, seriously so many, dedicated to whales and whaling. In high school, your teacher might let you skip them, but you're not really reading Moby Dick until you know how sp- how spermaceti is gathered. Uh, oh, I know how it's gathered. And if I was to do an excerpt of Moby Dick, I'd do the whole chapter of just whale definitions. That would be my fucking excerpt. So if somebody reads it, like, is this a dictionary? It's just whale definitions. Yes. That's the whole book. Just <laughs> enjoy it. Excerpt. Or don't, because you probably won't. You probably will not. This whale, among the English of old, vaguely known as the trumpet whale, and the facetter whale, and the anvil-headed whale, is the present catch-a-lot of the French, and the pot's fetch of the Germans, and the marsophilus of the long words. He is without doubt the largest inhabitant of the globe, the most formidable of all whales to encounter, the most majestic in aspect, and lastly, by far the most valuable in commerce, he being the only creature from which that valuable substance, spermaceti, is obtained. There's a lot of that, Spencer. Yeah. A lot of that. And that's not anything to do with the story. It's just about sperm whales. And uh, any whales. Just, he loved whales, man. Uh, number, ooh. Oh, yeah, Caleb. Mm, I read two on this list so far. Number 11, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien, 1977. You want to know why this is hard, Spencer? You want to know why? I won't tell you. I'll let them tell yeah. you. Because I already did kind of in yeah, my, uh, sure, yeah. my little review I did. I don't think I did a review. I just I liked it. Did you read The Lord of the Rings and think, this needs to be... (laughs) We need more. Did you read Lord of the Rings and think, this needs way more backstory? (laughs) No, because you're a sane person. But just in case, (laughs) the Silmarillion offers a complete mythological history of Tolkien's universe, and lo, it is dense. The main downside of the Silmarillion, if you find it a downside, it's written like a history book. It's not written like a narrative as uh, like The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Uh, it's just like the history of, you know, the Silmarillion and the fucking Annalindale and uh, Venta Quenta Silmarillion, all that stuff. So it's it's difficult. But what got me, like, what really was hard is the names. And that's not even counting actually trying to pronounce them right. Just the names in general. There's so many. But to pronounce them, like, when I look, because I've been listening to the Prancy po- Pony podcast as I was reading it, because they're way better with the mm-hmm. names. Like, they actually speak, like, the language and shit, which is, like, too far for me. Here's an excerpt. They're actual fans, Caleb. Real fans. Not, you know, partial fan like me. With Manway dwells Varda, Lady of the Stars, who knows all the regions of Aea. Too great is her beauty to be declared in the words of men or of elves. For the light of Iluvatar lives still in her face, and light in her power and her joy. Out of the deeps of Aea she came to the aid of Manway. For Melkor she knew from before the making of the music, and rejected him, and he hated her, and feared her more than all others whom Eru made. Uh, and that's one of the easier parts. I actually understood all those names and that stuff, because those are the main names. 
But when you just get into like just random elf history and shit, and you just have a whole chapter that's literally just nothing but like random names and cities and town, and you're like, what's happening? I don't know. And there's so many after you got Fanorn, Finrod, and Fingolfin, and good lord. Uh, number ooh, Spencer, you can knock this off your bucket list. Oh yeah. Number twelve. Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. I'm happy that it's on the list. Written 1985. I'm glad to admit, yeah, because now we're not big dummy heads for fucking, like, you know, not having a great time with it. You know you're in for something difficult when the prose is described as both sparse and expansive. That was, like, that's what it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, It's so that, weird. Yeah, that is a really good explanation. How is it so sparse, yet it's never-ending? <laughs> McCarthy doesn't use quotation marks or apostrophes. That's what really gets me a lot of the time. And he refuses to grant any interviews about the novel. Figure it out yourself, basically. Here's an excerpt. Uh, I haven't read enough of these. It sounds like somebody doesn't want to talk about it. Folks, we recommend that... Probably not. We recommend that you check out last year's episode we did. It was a book of the month for basically Halloween. uh, was Blood Meridian. And I think we did a very fair breakdown for not liking the book. Yeah. The truth about the world, he said, is that anything is possible. Had you not seen it all from birth and thereby bled it of its strangeness, it would appear to you for what it is. A hat trick in a medicine show, a fever dream, a trance be populate with chimeras having neither analog nor precedent. An interrent carnival, a migratory tent show whose ultimate destinations after many a pitch in many a mudded field is unspeakable and calamitous beyond reckoning. That's all one sentence, by the way. Number 13, The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen. This is from 2001, so we got a newer book. Now hear me out. There are likely plenty of Franzen fans shaking their fists right now. Shaking. Are you shaking it, Spencer? So shaken. But his novel, however great, is truly dense. While readers may ease into the style, it's initially rather slow going, to say the least. Here's an excerpt. By now, it had been ringing for so many hours that the Lamberts no longer heard the message of bell ringing. But as with any sound that continues for so long that you have the leisure to learn its component sounds. Okay, this isn't very difficult. It's just very long. Number 14, The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. You're a big man tonight, aren't you? Such a man tonight. You're a big man tonight. You know, wait, should, I get, should I do the joke from the garbage episode? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I didn't read The Magic the, Mountain. The, the Magic Mountain. I read the, the novelization of Magic Mike is what I read. <laughs> oh. I think it was way better when oh. you did it in the, the garbage episode. Uh, what makes it challenging? There's a lot of ambiguity. What with the novel shifting between realism and grand symbolic and mythological themes? It's a constant back and forth between plot and allegory, and while man knew it was tough, he refused to offer any clues as to how to understand the work. Here's an excerpt. The first step toward evil, toward desire and death, was taken precisely then when there took place the first increase in the density of the spiritual, that pathologically luxuriant, morbid growth produced by the irritant of some unknown infiltration, this, in part pleasurable, in part of a motion of self-defense, ooh, was the primeval stage of matter, the transition from the insubstantial to the substance. This was the fall. I don't, I don't like reading things like that out loud or in my head or anything. Number 15, Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand. It's largely an allegory for objectivism, so if you don't subscribe to Anne Rand's philosophy, making it through the lengthy novel is an unbearable chore. Don't forget the 70-page speech that ends up being a significant chunk of the book. Ew. 70 pages of one speech is ridiculous. Uh, and that book is, like, what did we say in the last episode? Like, 1,200 pages or something? Yeah, it was something. It was actually pretty long. Yeah. Excerpt. This man who refuses to judge, who neither agrees nor disagrees, who declares that there are no absolutes and believes that he escapes responsibility... 
Is the man responsible for all the blood that is now spilled in the world? Reality is an absolute existence and an absolute a speck of dust. Uh, a speck of dust is an absolute and so is a human. All right. Fuck you, Anne Rand. I don't, I don't, I don't want to read it. I don't like it. Number 10, Ulysses by James Joyce, 1922. I would think this would be higher. The so-called greatest novel of all time might not be as impenetrable as Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, but it's no easy task either. Inspired by the Odyssey, it contains a staggering 30,030 different words and endless puns, allusions, and stylistic curiosities. It's an excerpt of Ulysses, which you can check me reading some excerpts out on our Bard is the Word episode, where I covered this and Finnegan's Wake a little bit when we were talking about uh, using the best word choices. Excerpt. Yes, when I put the rose in my hair like the Andalusian girls used, or shall I wear a red yes, and how he kissed me under the Moorish well, and I thought well as well, him as another, and then I asked him with my eyes to ask again yes, and then he asked me would I yes to say yes, my mountain flower, and first I put my arms around him yes and drew him down to me so he could feel my breast all perfume yes, and his heart was going like mad, and yes, I said yes, I will yes. Yes. All one, all one set. That's yes. stream of consciousness. So it's just supposed to be somebody's thinking. Apparently, they're I've thinking. I've never thought like that in my you life. You never thought yes a lot. Maybe you don't think, Spencer. That that could be it too. Uh I think you heard of this one, haven't you? Underworld by Don DeLillo. DeLillo. Mm, I don't know. Not only is Underworld non-linear, it spans from the fifties through the nineties, referencing contemporary historical events through desperate characters and underlying themes. And that's not a very complicated one. I got to speed this up here. Because we already recorded a whole episode. Now we don't want to do no more. No more. Uh, number 18, Nightwood by Juno Barnes, 1936. As T.S. Eliot puts it in the introduction, only sensibilities trained on poetry can wholly appreciate it. By which he means this modernist novel is dense as hell. It's important for its frank depictions of homosexuality, but that doesn't make it any less of an ordeal. I think homosexuality in the 30s would be quite the ordeal to go through. Because uh, people were jerks back then. Still jerks, but they were more jerks back then. So many jerks. Number 19, Simulacra. Ooh, that's a word I can't say. Simulacra and Simulation by John Baudrillard, 1981. The title that this daunting. Yeah. With the title this daunting, it's no surprise Baudrillard's philosophical treatise is tough to digest. In addressing the relationship between reality and symbols, a philosopher exposes society while confusing the hell out of readers fighting a losing battle with postmodernism. Uh, number 20, The Castle by Franz Kafka. Hey, I read this one. Did you ever read Kafka? No, he didn't read Kafka yet. No. Kafka never finished it, which doesn't help. That's what I was like, I read it. I was like, oh, where's the end? That aside, it's complicated. The protagonist is known only as K, and the entire novel is a surrealistic take on alienation and bureaucracy. You'd have a much easier time with Kafka's short stories. I will read the excerpt, because that's short here. He speaks to Clam, but is it Clam? Isn't it rather someone who merely resembles Clam? Perhaps at the very most a secretary who is a little like Clam and goes to great lengths to be even more like him and tries to seem important by affecting Clam's drowsy, dreamlike manner. 21, Absalom, Absalom by William Faulkner. I also, when I was talking about The Sound and the Fury, I was also deciding between that and this. Because uh, this is apparently a great... He won a fucking Pulitzer Prize... Or not... Uh, he won the Nobel Prize in Literature, and I think it was... Probably for his like whole collection of work, but I think like this and Sound of the Fury were uh, big parts of that. Like the the, the biggest uh, contribution. Yeah, Quentin Compson isn't the most reliable narrator, is it? Oh, he's from Sound of the Fury. You might remember him from The Sound and the Fury, especially when he's telling a story to his roommate who keeps interrupting. Ooh, that's gonna be rough. Mm. Like constant interruptions. I can imagine. 
As with most Faulkner novels, there are multiple points of view, and the truth is repeatedly obscured as the character and the reader struggle to get the whole picture. So he just sounded like he liked to write in a way that was purposely convoluted. Mm-hmm. Uh, excerpt. I, the dreamer, clinging yet to the dream as the patient clings to the last thin, unbearable, ecstatic, ecstatic instant of agony in order to sharpen the savior of the pain's succorous. Waking into the reality, the more than reality, not to be unchanged and unaltered old time, but into a time altered to fit the dream, which, conjunctive with the dreamer, becomes immolated in... I don't want... I'm not reading that book. Read it. I'm not going to read that book now. I don't know what I just read. I couldn't even say the last word, apathized. You should read it right now on air. I'm going to read the whole book, Absalom, Absalom. I can't even say the fucking name. You know what? Gabbage. That goes in the garbage, garbage episode. episode. Garbage episode. I feel bad for people listening. It's like, these guys suck. They're like, this is the better one. <laughs> <laughs> this is better than the one we You probably should have deleted it, and then you could just kept it as like, see, it was worse. <laughs> Number 22, The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco, 1980. This is a novel of semiotics, the study of signs. Semiotics students use it to explain what they do, and I still have no idea what that is exactly. In some ways, The Name of the Rose is a straightforward mystery, but with complicated postmodernist elements. Um, number 23, Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, 2004. I, I didn't know this was a difficult book. Isn't this one? Did they make this a movie? Isn't that the one with like Tom Hanks and I Halle Berry? So. Maybe because like, cause, like, they're like going through different lifetimes, maybe? I don't mm, know. Perhaps. In many ways, Mitchell's novel is easier than the others on this list. It's engaging and very readable. At the same time, it moves from the 19th century to a post-apocalyptic future with a series of interconnected stories that end abruptly, then are finished in reverse chron- chronological order. So it's just kind of the writing stars yeah. a little. Uh, 24, The Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. This is one I wanted us to read, but uh, you said no. Actually, oh. I wanted to read uh, House on Haunted Hill or whatever, but that's, I wanted you to read this too because it's fucking nuts. It's fucking nuts, Spencer. I will read the excerpt for this one. What makes it challenging? Plot. What plot? I mean, it's there, but this is a novel about philosophical introspection with a plot that kind of happens in the background and is very hard to follow. There is a minimal dialogue and action because the whole thing is so internal. Here's an excerpt, Spencer. She had known happiness, exquisite happiness, intense happiness, and it silvered the rough waves a little more brightly as daylight faded and the blue went out of the sea and it rolled into waves of pure lemon which curved and swelled and broke upon the beach and the ecstasy burst in her eyes and waves Ew. of pure delight raced over the floor of Sounds her like mind. that stings. And she felt, it is enough, it is enough. I hope he told her that, it, that he was going to do that beforehand. Why is it was the waves of pure lemon? The yellow waves? Is it pink? <laughs> it kind of sounds like she got peed in the face, right? <laughs> like somebody peed in her face, right? I want to read that book. I think that's only like 100-something pages. That's why I suggested we read it. Number 25 is the last one. The Recognitions by William Gaddis. William Gaddis. Why is that name familiar? Do you know William Gaddis? I don't believe so. Different characters are interwoven throughout the main narrative, which is loose to begin with. Gaddis admitted that this novel was not reader-friendly. That's an understatement. Jonathan Franzen, who appears on this list, called The Recognitions the most difficult book he'd ever voluntarily read. And I'll read the final excerpt here. What is real, then? Nothing's real to you. That isn't part of your own past. Real life, a swamp of failures. A social, sexual, financial, personal, spiritual failure. Real life. You poor bastard. You don't know what real life is. You've never been near it. All you have is a thousand intellectualized ideas about life. But life? Have you ever measured yourself against anything but your own lousy past? 
Have you ever feared anything outside yourself? Life, you poor bastard. Make you read that one. It seems like a <laughs> fucked up like help, like self help book. Like it sounds like a bad self help book. <laughs> like, it sounds like, like a fucking, like, like a German self help book. Like it sounds like a self harm book. <laughs> so um, you're nothing and you never be nothing. But you could be something if you weren't such a nothing. <laughs> but you will never be nothing. Uh, so anyways, Spencer, what'd you think of that list? Any of those you actually want to read or think about reading? Uh. I mean, not, I mean, I don't know. A couple of them seem kind of interesting, but, like, when it gets into, the, like, the crazy languages and the, the David Foster Wallace's of it and stuff like that, it kind of went into, like, what we talked about, like, in, uh, I think it was, like, last episode, where it's just, like, I'd rather spend my time reading something that I will probably enjoy. Right. Other than something that will feel like homework. Well... The Kafka, which I wouldn't recommend that Kafka, because uh, it's not finished. Yeah. I think that was in that collection. It'd of, be like reading that... Uh, Metamorphosis or any of the short stories I would recommend. I think you'd like Kafka. Because it, it's going to make it's gonna remind you of work so much that it's probably going to make you laugh. Not, like, <laughs> yeah. It's not going to remind you of work in a bat because it's so over the top. Like the bureaucracy of just yeah. everything. Like everything in a Kafka novel or a Kafka story is so over the top with how like irritating the fucking system is. Just mm-hmm. any system. Like the legal system, or for instance, or just like anything. Oh, you got to turn in the like they can be in the DMV. That's Kafka. Mm. It's like okay, did you have form A? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, you need form B. Well, I just had form B, and you told me I needed form A. Well, now you need form B. So you go back, fill out form B, hand it in. Well, I need form A, and it's just back and forth, yeah. back and forth. Ah! Just like endless bureaucracy, and I, I love it. It's so stupid. Um, also, who did a great. I don't know if he was purposely trying to do an impression of Kafka, but uh, Martino Kayan has a story. I can't. I think it's called The Key. Uh, you can buy the story off of Amazon. I recommend just getting the whole collection. Um, what's the name of that collection? Uh, Something of the Dead. It's a really good collection, but his in that story, it's about a guy who's at work, and his, he works at a paper company, and his job is to, like, uh, his boss left for the day or was on vacation or something. So he has to, like, I forget, like, watch papers or fucking get the phone, or he has to just watch something. But he gets himself locked in the guy's office on accident. Yeah. And then the whole story is about people trying to get him out, but they can't break the door because that's against protocol. And then, like, his wife ends up coming, and everything's against protocol, and they need to get somebody else. Like, well, we need to get the guys that are in charge opening doors. Mm. And then they can't get those guys, or they get them, and the guy's like, well, yeah, this is our job to, like, bust down doors, but we still need the paperwork from what... And it goes on and on so much that they just keep getting people whose job it is to get this fucking door open, and then the person whose job it is to help the person get the door open, and their person... Like, it just goes on and on until the guy dies. He just dies in the office. They, they could just never get him out. All you had to do is break the door down. Uh, but it's, it's so ridiculous and over the top, but it's just like a perfect Kafka story. Uh, but anyway, so I think Cloud Atlas might be up your alley didn't say how long that was and i want to read that virginia to the lighthouse i really want to read that i'm going to read ulysses next year and uh that's i think that's only i think it's it i don't think i want to read anything else on this list yeah blood meridian i might give another shot in the future 15 years from now yeah i, I started reading about that uh new cormac mccarthy book the passenger that comes out in october i pre-ordered it and I started reading the early reviews for it. I'm like, oh no, yeah, oh no. They're they're all you know glowing because it's Cormac McCarthy. But just they were talking about like the writing style and stuff. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. I don't think it's gonna be for me. So anyway, folks, what were you, Spencer, the Canadian car crash at church? I think that's what I was a long time ago. Yes, and we made a bunch of great jokes in the last episode that we deleted. 
you could check out his OnlyFans at that name. Uh, check out the drunkenpenwriting.com Halloween submissions. They're still coming in, so get yours in before it's too goddamn late. I don't feel like reading them. Then Spencer's got to read them. You don't want him reading them. I don't read, no. You don't want him reading them. He'll be the judge. Ooh, he's harsh. Harsh. Uh, so that's drunkenpenwriting.com. Twitter at drunkenpenwriting. Instagram, Facebook, drunkenpenwriting.com. 